the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All the kids up through the 10th grade, please come forward. No, so I can uh, come here, Connor. Over here, so I can see you. There you go. Good morning, y'all. So, who is my mother, and who is my brother, and who is my sister? Do you know my mother? Do you know my brothers? I have seven brothers. You know my sister? I have one sister. You know them? Who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? Whoever you want it to be. Well, according to the gospel, you're my sisters, you're my brother, you're my mother. <laughs> I mean, you're my sister. <laughs> here's the thing, here's what he, his family was really worried about him because Jesus had been go, 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 healing and, and doing miracles and teaching and preaching and walking around and and people were all around him all the time. And his family got really worried about him. And so they came to him from out of town. And they came up to the house. And all these people are gathered there. And the people inside say, your mother and your brothers and your sisters are outside. And they want to talk to you. And Jesus looked at them and said, who is my mother? Who is my brother? And then he said, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my mother and my sister. And you know what that makes us? Everybody in here. And not just everybody in here, but everybody in every church throughout the world. And not just everybody th throughout the world, but everybody in the past and everybody in the future who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are your mother and your brothers and your sisters. We have a big family. There are a lot of people in this world who, who don't have a mom or dad or brothers or sisters or have broken families or whatever it might be. There are people like that all over the place. But there's good news in this because the Bible tells us, the gospel tells us that, that we have a family that we can be proud of, the same family who loves the Lord Jesus the way we're supposed to love the Lord Jesus. And we help one another, just like a brother or sister might, or a mother might, or a father might. We are one family. We're called Christian. That's our name. I'm Stan Christian, you're Connor Christian, you're... Maggie Christian, you're Marian Christian. We're all brothers and sisters. And we can lean on one another when we need help. And we teach one another. And we preach the gospel to one another. But not just to one another, to everybody else outside who, who's not a part of the family. We want everybody to be a part of Jesus' family. The gospel's about that this morning. And it's an important word that we need to hear. You're not all alone. You're never all alone if you're a Christian. First, we have God, who's always with us. And then we have each other, the church. The church is our family and always will be. You're never, ever alone. I'm never alone. I can always depend on my brothers and sisters in Jesus. And so can you. Okay? Remember that. Don't forget that. You're going to grow up in this world and you're going to think sometimes I'm out here all by myself, but you're not. You stay in the church, you love the Lord Jesus, 
and you'll always have family. Okay? Okay. Go get, um, oh, you want to pack? Oh, no packets. Go, get, go ahead anyway. Heavenly Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing unto you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Father Michael Schwant. I'm the Associate Rector and Youth Minister here at St. Timothy's Anglican Church. If you're joining us for the first time, I just want you to know in our narthex, there's a welcome desk. And on that welcome desk, we have a newcomer's packet. That is our gift to you, and it has information about the church Hopefully it'll answer any questions you may have about why we do things a certain way. If it doesn't, feel free to come up to myself and you have the leaders and we will be happy to answer any other questions you may have. I don't know about you, but I've played my fair share of what's called icebreaker games. I don't know if you've heard of these games, but they're games that you play if you are in a new group. You know, maybe you played them at summer camp once upon a time or at the beginning of a new school year or whatever. Sometimes even certain job settings will do icebreaker games, and they can be a variety of different things, right? One of the ones that you can play is called Two Truths and a Lie, where you make up two true things about yourself and one lie. So, for example, I could say, I am a father, I am a priest, and I am secretly a llama in a man suit. You could probably guess which one is the lie, right? Number two, right, it's number two. We're going to play a slightly different game this morning. We're going to be looking at our Old Testament passage. It's 1 Samuel 8, so if you have a Bible, I encourage you to get it out in front of you. I have a scripture bulletin insert. You can have that in front of you. And we're going to be looking at something that's, in fact, two lies and a truth. And what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this story, and we're going to see how the people of Israel, in their demand for a king, believed two different lies that the enemy was whispering through them. And we're going to see at the end how there's one great truth, one great truth that we can take home with us and apply to our lives this week. So let's dive in. The first lie that the people of Israel believed was Satan will use fear to get you to put your trust in things other than God. Satan will use your fear to get you to put your trust in things other than God. For those of you who know me know that I am a a huge Star Wars fan, and it's been too long since I've been able to use Star Wars as a sermon illustration, so I saw an opportunity this morning, and I'm going to take it. Now, the movie franchise Star Wars is broken up into three different trilogies, in case you've never watched it. How that's possible, but, you know, just for those who may be unique among us, there's the original trilogy, episodes four, five, and six, there's the sequels, which recently came out, seven, eight, nine, then there's the prequel trilogies, stories one, two, and three. And in the prequels specifically, we're introduced to the character of Anakin Skywalker. We meet Anakin Skywalker on a desert planet, and he's discovered by a Jedi master, and he discovers that this small little boy is strong in the Force and wants to train him as a Jedi. So he takes Anakin Skywalker to the capital city of the Republic, to Coruscant, and gets him before the great Jedi Council, and they begin to test him to see if he's apt enough in the force in order to become a Jedi. And Anakin's just flying through the test, right? He's answering every question correctly. He's showing that he is indeed strong in the force, but one of the great Star Wars characters, Master Yoda, seems, he begins to sense that something is off with Anakin. And he basically asks him, what's wrong? And Anakin says, well, you know, I am a little afraid right now. 
I'm away from my home for the first time. I miss my mom. I'm scared I won't see her again. All seems pretty reasonable to me, right? And Yoda begins to be concerned about Anakin's fear, and Anakin basically asks, what's wrong? And Yoda gives the famous line, which you may have heard before, but fear, fear leads to anger, and anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. And the point that Yoda was making is that fear, fear often can lead us to do things that we often wouldn't do. It can cloud our judgment. And the great tragedies of episode one, two, and three of Star Wars is that Anakin Skywalker does indeed grow up to be a Jedi, falls in love and gets married to a beautiful woman, and in his fear of losing his wife becomes the very thing he swore to try to defeat himself. And it's a fall from grace story. Fear clouded his judgment and caused him to do something and to make a decision he never dreamed was capable of making. In our story this morning, we're confronted with a similar situation. The people of God have entered into the promised land. They have been ruled by a series of rulers called judges. Judges were chosen by God. They acted on God's behalf and they listened to God and they prayed to God. Some of the more famous ones that you may have heard of is Gideon and Samson were judges that judged Israel where they were military leaders that led the Israelites into battle. And right now we find ourselves in a similar situation. Israel is currently being ruled, at the point of this story, by a judge named Samuel. Samuel listens to God. You probably have heard Samuel's story before. And Israel finds itself locked in conflict with the Philistines. Philistines was a powerful military neighbor to the Israelites, and they constantly threatened a military invasion with the people of Israel. And so the people of Israel are scared. And so they go to Samuel and they say, we, we want a king. We want a king because a king is easier to understand and we can begin to, to, to see that a king will be able to lead us into battle. And you know, Samuel, your sons are a little, they're a little shaky. And we don't want them to lead us into battle. We want you to choose someone else among us. And in doing so, in asking for an earthly king, what they are doing, and as scripture tells us, is they are in fact rejecting God. Who could ever think that the people of God chosen by him, who had been faithfully shepherded by him for all those years, all those Old Testament stories point to how God does provide and care for his people, but in choosing and wanting an earthly king, they go and they reject their heavenly father. They let their fear cloud their judgment, and they begin to ask for something that they wouldn't have even dreamed was possible. Fear will get you to put your trust in things other than God. Example two, Satan will try and convince you that the way of the world is easier than the way of God. I heard a story from a, from a pastor once who was an urban pastor. I don't remember the exact pastor it comes from, but it's a story that has stuck out in my, in my mind where this pastor goes to various coffee shops and restaurants and tries to meet waiters and people in the city and use that as an evangelistic opportunity. And this particular pastor was having lunch with an, a fellow pastor and they were talking about prayer. And this waiter comes up and overhears the conversations and says, oh, that's curious. Uh, do you mind if you explain to me how, how, how prayer works for you? 
And so the pastor says, oh, cool, this is a great opportunity, and explains prayer and how we pray to a God, and we believe that he answers prayer, and that he's a good father, but he gives his gifts in accordance to his will, you know, and lays out prayer, a good biblical example of what prayer means. And this waiter says, oh, yeah, I do that, but it's a little different. I pray to the angel of death. And the pastor says, oh, okay, how does that work for you? And this person explains that whenever they pray to the angel of death, he always answers his prayer, no matter what it is, but it always costs him something. Sometimes he wakes up the next day and he's in an incredible amount of pain. Sometimes he's lost something. Sometimes his health is affected. Where he gets what he wants, but it always costs him something. Now, brothers and sisters, I hope that none of us in this room are so tempted to put our trust in something that is so blatantly evil. But how easy it is sometimes for us to believe the lie of the enemy that it is easier to put our trust and to be convinced that it would just be so much easier if we just put our trust in our family, our finances, perhaps our career, perhaps the amount of money that we make. And don't misunderstand me. These are not bad things. These are good things that are given to us by God. But the problem becomes is whenever we believe that the way of putting all of our trust in them would be easier than following God. The people of Israel were convinced that having a king would be easier than following after God. And Samuel, in his great leadership, provides a warning before he, on God's behalf, chooses for them a king. He says, don't you understand this is going to cost you? This king will take your sons and put them in his army and they will go out and fight on his behalf and they may die and they will take your daughters and your daughters will have to work and they will have to feed this great military machine and you will have to give of the work that you earn and it will take away from the livelihood that you have in order to feed this great king that you will choose and this will be hard don't you understand what you're asking for this will be hard this will cost you more than you think and if you go on and you read the story of the people of Israel, you will learn that they do, in fact, have some atrocious kings that rule them, and it cost them greatly. Do we, as Christians, sometimes think that the way of the world, that would just look so easy, wouldn't it? To put our trust in things that just seem easier to put our trust in, it just seems to be easier than, in fact, God does provide for us he does lead us scripture says that right we have the story of the red sea the crossing of the red sea pharaoh's army was at their behind and there's this great water that there is no possible way for them to cross over and god parts the red sea and they walk through it right walking through the wilderness and there's no food and so they get provided manna from heaven there's no water for them to drink and so the water comes out of the rock and provides them water to drink time and time again. God did provide them and did protect them. And yet here we see that they're beginning to believe lies and saying, oh, it would just be so much easier if we just had a king like everyone else, wouldn't it? Satan will try to convince you that the way of the world is easier than the way of God. So where's that truth, Father Michael? Where's that truth that you were talking about? Well, the good news, brothers and sisters, is you and I know from the rest of the story is that from this desire for a king, from this seeming strayed path from God's plan is in fact in complete accordance. 
accordance with God's plan. And God's will work with us sometimes and often despite us. And we know that from this kingship, from this kingship that becomes, we get the person of Jesus Christ himself. He fulfills, he is our king. He fulfills this kingly promise that God delivers to the people of Israel later and in the great King David. Jesus perfectly fulfills that and that happens time and time again. There are things in our life that we believe it will be so much easier for us just to trust the way of the world or just to give in to fear. Wouldn't that be so much easier? And we have a savior and we have a Lord who's crying out to us and says, I can provide for you. I want to provide for you. I want to be your king. I want to be your friend. I want to take care of you. To grow you into an image of myself, all you have to do is just trust me. Have faith in me. Look at the story. See how I've provided for my people in the past and trust that I will continue to do so. So I don't know what lies you're struggling with this morning. What lies the enemy may be whispering in your ear. Maybe they look similar to the ones that the people of Israel struggled with. Maybe they're lies of fear, lies of putting your trust in something else. Maybe it's a completely different lie that you're struggling with. And my prayer for you this morning is that you can remember that there is a savior and his name is Jesus Christ and he desires to love you, to protect you, and to provide for you. And he's asking that you put your trust in him. In the name of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.